0: Alright, everyone. Yeah, I know. This is something something new and exciting <laughs> from your your friendly neighborhood, the the Bard, poot the Bard, or Chuck Bungo in this case. This is the Tone Bros podcast. And uh it's myself who's a big dumb guitar nerd, and also my friend, you want to introduce yourself?
1: Hey, it's Matt. I'm another big dumb guitar nerd.
0: <laughs> yes, he is. That's <laughs> like and and we we would always like ever since we've known each other um, through our uh, our college um, and me I was a student at the time and Matt was a, a fairly recent alumnus and uh, I they'd come back for like marching band stuff and everything I know I'm already selling us as the coolest people in the world aren't I the um <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. and, and like we 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 immediately hit it off because I think it was because I was a guitar major. And I met you and I mentioned something about guitar and like, and it just kind of like kicked it off. Like then I mentioned dream theater. It was like, Oh dude, dream theater. And like, we just kind of like, every time we get together for any kind of alumni function or get together for anything, Matt and I just basically like go, yeah, yeah. You guys have fun doing frisbee golf stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You guys have fun going on a walk or whatever. We're going to sit here and we're going to smoke cigarettes and talk about guitar equipment.
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah basically that's that's pretty much exactly how it was i think we were because we were pl- both playing trumpet we we're sitting up in the stands during a game and i literally think it was you said something about dream theater it was either you said something about either change of seasons or one of their big epic things and i was like wait you listen to dream Theater?" and you "Like, you listen to dream theater and then it just kind of started up and then i think i said something about uh an ibanez and you're like i play ibanez i have a bunch of ibanez
0: i'm like all right cool like, and that and it was just like cool friendship started it was neat yep like yep. um but like since then seriously like we talked about this stuff and there are multiple times uh sitting uh you know one in the morning uh, with one too many um one too many Dutchmans uh talking about uh we should do a podcast we should do we should do a combo guitar gear wrestling podcast but we settled on just guitar gear so yeah
1: man we'll we'll talk about mma too and uh yeah yeah it was pretty much i think that's pretty accurate
0: in the most in the most like pipe dreamy thing in the world um but But no we let's do it (laughs) we well so we did dude let's do the actual gear podcast so that's that's what we're doing but i figured you know with this being episode zero like the pilot if you will um i figured i'd ask uh start with um us telling a little bit about ourselves. Matt, I, I'm going to interview you. The, Mr. Okay. Matt, uh, <laughs> d- Tone Tone Bro Number 1, when, how long have you been playing guitar?
1: Well, first of all, thank you for designating me Tone Bro 1, even yeah, though man. it has nothing to do with uh, anything other than just happenstantial sequence. Well, Is that it's, a phrase?
0: It's more because Please I say. wanted to be Tone Bro 2 electric boogaloo.
1: Oh, awesome. That <laughs> I approve that. I approve this message. <laughs> okay, so um, technically I started playing guitar in 1996. So it's been, um, was or no, I'm sorry, 95. So it's been 25, 25 wow, 25 years. Um, but I didn't really get serious about playing until 98 when I was in college and I got in my first band. Um, but it was literally like I remember bugging my mom for, God, since probably 1985, 1984, 1985. Ironically, rest in peace, the first time I saw Eddie Van Halen on TV. I said, I want that. I want to do that. And just begging for years and years and years. And then when the grunge thing hit, it was all the kids that I knew were listening to that kind of music and it, they all played guitar. And I said, I got it. I got to do this. Get me a guitar, please, please. So they finally ponied up and got me a guitar, an acoustic, which I still own. Um, but like I said, I didn't get serious until until in college, a couple years into it.
0: Awesome. Like I, you know, I. You obviously, you know, you're, you're, I won't say, I won't say older as dicks, but you're, <laughs> you're, you're, you're a little bit ahead of me. Um, cause I, I was a late bloomer. I started playing guitar when I was 16. So, yeah, I've, me too. Been, yeah, I've been playing guitar when I was, um, uh, I can't, I, I'm not going to sit here and do the math on when that was 2001, I think, 2001. Okay. Um, so, uh and, and the the way that I came into it was um I was you know, I've always I grew up in a musical family. I'm very lucky. My mom, my sister, and I are the musical ones. God love my father, that man can't tune a radio. And <laughs> but he loves he knows what sounds good. And I'll I'll get into that later remind me because like my dad it's weird he can't he's he's not musically inclined but he has a great ear for what sounds good um but i i started playing guitar in high school because um i i was you know i was playing trumpet in the band i was singing in choir and stuff like that but i and trumpet was mine but it felt like it was like you know one of those things oh you're in band you got to play a band instrument it didn't feel as personal it wasn't until my my buddy Ryan, I when I got into high school, I start I, I started listening to uh rap and hip hop, which is you know is all fine, but I was sitting listening to the Slim Shady LP, and my buddy Ryan came up and he goes, hey man, what are you listening to? I said Slim Shady LP, it's badass. Well, he goes in his backpack and he pulls out an album and he hands it to me. And I looked at it and I was like, ride the lightning, and. <laughs> Uh, I popped it in before band, and of course, Fight Fire with Fire was the first thing, and it blew my mind. I had never heard anything like that up to this point. Like, my, my sister, mom, and dad all listened to, like, you know, and it was good. I grew up with classical music, jazz, country, bluegrass, and all that stuff, but they were never into rock or metal or anything like that, even classic rock. They just weren't into. So I wasn't around it. Um... And in hearing "Fight Fire with Fire" blew my mind, and I it set it off to where I went. You know, I would I would go look up videos of Metallica, and I'd see James Hetfield and Kirk Hammett playing, and I was like, I want much like you, I want to mm-hmm. do that. I went, I want to be that. I was like, I wanted to be, I wanted to be James Hetfield, like right. so bad. And yes, was, no, and my. I started taking guitar lessons and I was using my mom's nylon string Kingston guitar that you could drive a truck under the action of the strings. And, Uh, um, that Christmas, it was basically like a year of me playing. They saw I was serious and they bought me my very first electric guitar. And I was like, it can't get any better than this. And that was thousands of dollars ago. Um, but yeah, and I've just been playing ever since. I went to school for it. I did performance and classical guitar. Uh, I'm in a band right now. Um, I get hired by local um, uh, high schools and schools and theaters to play guitar and bass for them, which is really nice. But that's kind of where I started. Now, what what were you going to say? I'm sorry before I cut you off.
1: Oh, no, no. You didn't cut <laughs> me off. No, um, I, was, I was just going to say.
0: You were going to say what? You were gonna say what, Matt? No, don't leave me.
1: Sorry, no. I um, I got a phone call from <laughs> uh, the doctor's office real quick. So oh, okay, uh, no, go, I just, you like, want
0: to go no, take I'll care of call it? I'll back in a minute. No, no I'll call you him take, back in a minute. Take care of him. I can edit this. No, it's okay. Okay. Um,
1: they'll just you know, because I I do have to leave in a little bit to go get the kids. But um, oh, okay. Anyway, um, no, I was just gonna say like I that's one of the um similarities between us too. Like I grew up in a musical family. Um I was exposed really early on to a lot of Beatles. Um Chicago is really big. Um, we pretty much had almost every album they had made from sixty eight until eighty seven or eighty eight I guess. Um but that was just a real big thing. And strangely enough the monkeys. I think the monkeys were the first time I saw somebody on TV and saw somebody with a guitar and thought, Oh that's cool. Music is cool. That looks like fun. But it was hearing uh van halen uh on the 1984 album that really just hit me in the head and said no you're gonna play guitar yeah dude. but I, I i didn't do the lessons thing i just figured i would teach myself and i remember with my first acoustic i didn't know anything about the fingerings or anything like that so i just tuned it to like open tunings without even really knowing about oh open wow tunings. so um yeah i would tune it to like open d and open e flat stupid stupid stuff like that um and just kind of learning that way, but I kind of went in reverse where I started learning leads. I think that came from the trumpet uh, background because I I was kind of the opposite of you. I I did want to become a trumpet player and I did want to get serious about it. Guitar was actually just kind of an ancillary thing, just because there were so many other people that were playing it. I kind of I almost had a defeatist attitude from the beginning. I went, well, I'm not going to be that good. I just want to learn how to play a couple of chords. You know, once the whole grunge thing came out. Oh um, yeah, my kind of taste for. Uh, Not progressive, even at that point, but real technical playing. That kind of died out a little bit. But getting older and getting more mature, my ear got more attuned to more proficient players. I remember hearing, uh, seeing a commercial, and they were playing a song by Joe Satriani. And I was like, oh, screw this guy. I I can't stand this kind of music. And hearing Steve Vine, I'm like, no, forget this. Well, they became two of my all-time heroes in the instrument. Years later, and I can only attribute that to having a more attuned sensibility, if you want to call it that. But well, it's interesting and, where, where how we come from that.
0: Oh yeah, dude. Like I said, and and we'll, this is going to be a quicker episode. Obviously, Matt has things he right. has to take care of. He's got a very lovely family he's got to take care of, and I've got uh, yeah. some business. I actually started. This is where guitar led me was to building and repairing, um, and I'm getting a lot more serious about that. And hopefully next year. I'll actually be able to go in, uh, can like extend my training and then maybe make it my actual full-time job career. That'd be amazing. But, um, n- n- saying that like the influences for me, the initial ones were Kirk and James. And then right after that, I found Inveil Malmstein and that opened up a world to me. And then from there it was Steve Vai, um, uh, Joe Satriani, uh, George Lynch, Paul Gilbert—like I was influenced by a lot of the '80s guys, and then that led to Jason Becker and Marty Friedman, and then that led me to John Petrucci. But the the other one that I really count as a huge influence, and you can see it when I perform now because I do the tricks all the time—is Dimebag. Dimebag Daryl yeah. was huge on on me, especially being a Floyd user and the way my I structure my gain when i when i you know set up my settings and stuff like dime was so huge for me because he was it was the first time i saw someone playing guitar and thought that's brash and and like it's part of him it's more than just showing off it's it's an expression and and that kind of opened me opened me up as well but since again since we're on a little bit of a time constraint Since this is called Tone Bros Podcast, here we talk a lot. We're going to talk a lot about gear and equipment and things like that. Matt, what was your very first amp?
1: Oh, um, I. Well, hold your horses because this is pretty intense. All right. So, my first ever amp that I owned was the amplifier that came with my, what was it, uh, mid 90s Fender Squire pack, which I don't even think it was. Oh, what's the slogan that they used? Um, I don't don't remember. They had this slogan that they put on all their starter packs. But um, it was this, what was it? Squire G15. And it was a, not it was like an eight inch 15 watt solid state uh, combo. And clean sounds were decent. Gain. (laughs) <laughs> Honestly, I've gotten better tone on the toilets. No no offense to Squire because I love Squire and I love their products, but I unfortunately got a turd on both ends of it.
0: Oh now dude. Now go it's ahead. It's a
1: good amp to practice. No, I was just going to say it's a good amp to practice on just basically like if you're running a clean tone, but that 8-inch speaker or 10-inch speaker whatever it was had no tone capabilities whatsoever. It just farted and I remember I had to actually play a gig in our high school gymnasium with that amplifier. I turned everything up to 10, and I was playing my Strat, and it was just nothing but a wall of feedback. And, you know, strangely enough, people loved it, which kind of told me, oh, okay, well, obviously, uh, ears—beauty's in the ear of the beholder, because to me it just sounded god-awful.
0: Uh, absolutely dude okay well like uh and you can obviously hear like i said matt's on the move this week it's 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 the it's the prototype episode give us a break
1: the uh yeah. <laughs> the um, no, I'm, I'm still i'm still good for a little bit i ah. just have to you know head down and
0: yeah it's all good man it's cool it's yeah. uh, it's like we have an on the street reporter i like that no right. like well. from.
1: And no, go uh, ahead. real quick, if, if I knew I could get on speakerphone with this, then we'd be we'd be golden for another half hour. <laughs> but I'm not even sure if I can do that.
0: Ah, eh, don't worry about it. We'll be fine. The uh no. Yeah. So yours was a pack, a pack amp. Mine, yeah. my parents, my very first guitar, electric guitar, kind of in the same vein of yours, it was sold as a package. The one music store near us, spots music sold my mom and dad for christmas for me they sold me a Samic sg copy and it's oh, it's yeah. not it's not the the toro or Taurus that they did under the greg bennett thing whatever it was called um it was like a an sg like and it, yeah. it, it was a Samic brand it had a bolt-on neck and a photo flame top and it's just gloriously like awful but i played yeah. so many of my first gigs on that thing and i loved it uh, but the amp that they sold them with it—you ready? It's the absolute classic. Take a guess what it is.
1: Um. Well, I was going to say it was either a Crate GX112 nope. or a or a Gorilla amp.
0: No, not a Gorilla amp. No, it was. I would say somewhere in between that. It was a PV Rage 158.
1: Of course of Well course. actually my, my third guess was going to be like A PD Bandit but they're actually not bad
0: No the Bandits are good And I'll tell you what I will say this I got to play uh, A Rage 158 again years later Because mine was left At my singer at the time's house yep. And he To make sure it was safe Took it and put it in his uh, Stepfather's uh, back shed And I have no idea Where it is now my first amp i have no idea where it went it and its fight club rules sticker are floating around out there somewhere um yeah but honestly that was a great amp to start on because again yeah it was a little little eight or ten inch speaker i think a 10 inch little 10 inch speaker and yeah it sounded boxy and everything like that but i'll tell you what again the cleans were pretty good and like, the distortion, not as bad as I remember. Like, it it actually no. was not bad. The PV trans tube stuff was really good. And it's, in my opinion, from the stuff that I've played, the newer trans tube stuff, it stayed consistently decent.
1: Well, do you remember in Mr. Mullins' office, he had, what was it, a PV, was it a PV special? He One, had a uh,
0: 212? No, he had a 212. I think it was a, was it a special? Or was it a Bandit? I think it was a Special. I think it was a Special. I remember okay. Special
1: sticking in my head for some reason. But that amp, that was used in all, like, our entire, for all the years that I was in jazz band, whoever was playing guitar in that band. Uh, I remember the bass player had to use a Fender. I think it was a Fender Stage 115. Yep, I 100 used it. 15. Yeah, I, I remember a couple guys used it. I actually tried to use it as a guitar amp. And it's not bad clean, um, but the bass sound pretty good. But that PB Bandit was excellent or not bandit the pv special was excellent that had an awesome oh. clean sound and all it was very jazzy very open sounding
0: well and even tone. The, even the distortion on it was pretty good like yeah i used that whenever we did the musical um in uh in college i used that amp and it was actually really really good um no like so i said my first guitar was a samick you said yours was uh was a square was a squire. Now here's the yeah. here's the next question. What was your first big boy guitar? Like one that you're like, "Okay, this is like a serious instrument."
1: Oh, my first big boy guitar, it's it's a guitar that I mourn to this day because I was foolish in getting rid of it. It was a 19 it was either a 99 or a 2000 Fender American Standard oh. Telecaster. I don't remember how much my grandfather, I think my grandfather, my grandmother, and my parents put in, and I put it in a little bit. I was going to get a, yeah, go figure. Uh, The Hughes & Kettner Vortex amp was really hot at that point. And I remember hearing that and going, oh, that's Randy Rhoads tone. I want that. Well... I love Randy Rhodes, but I'm not going to say much about his tone. I think we all know how that is.
0: Mm, we'll cover uh, that, I'm sorry, sure, Randy. at some point.
1: We'll, we'll cover that at another point. Um, but I remember thinking that this amp sounded so good, I think it was just because it was a 412, and I was playing a Marshall Valve State 112 at the time. But that I, the money I put down on that, uh, I transferred over to this American Standard Telecaster they had at the music store. And it was black with um, white pickguard with a rosewood fingerboard, had graphite tuners, or I'm sorry, graphite saddles, a graphite nut. Um, It was just the perfect guitar. Mm -hmm. But I got rid of it because I didn't like the sound of the single coil pickups, not knowing that I could A, swap out the pickups, B, swap out the pots, because I'm pretty sure they were using uh, 250K pots on there instead of 500k I, i'm pretty sure i think that's a standard with fender um but also i just realized that i didn't like single coil pickups and as stupid as that is I, I you know i wish i still had that guitar because i would have swapped it out but oh. i had some mojo to it and it just played beautifully
0: dude we all have guitars that again that's another thing we could talk about at a later time is guitars we wish we still had i man the ones that got away oh yeah um, I've got quite a few of them. Uh, I am a buy, sell, and trader. I am a gear nut, and we're going to do yeah. that like on this podcast. We'll talk about pedals, amps, buying, selling, like the state of the current used market, the new products that are coming out. We'll cover all that uh, in future episodes. But my right. first real guitar was—it <laughs> was a Charvel Model Six. And nice. it, yeah, it basically a Japanese made Jackson soloist. That's basically what it was. And I still use that bitch to this day.
1: Um, is it the red one? It's like the, that real fire candy apple red.
0: Yes. The one that I scratched and painted and beat up. It's my Frankenstein. It absolutely right. is. Um, but I, uh, the, the story of how we got it is cool. Like my parents saw that I was getting serious about really serious about playing. And I joined a band called crack pelvis and um <laughs> with my buddies and i love that band i still do to this day and um we, we don't play together anymore but i still have very fond memories of it but i was using my pv and my my Samick, and i needed a bigger amp so i i you know it was coming up on uh christmas time and and i said to my dad i said hey dad i really need a a bigger amp and he said well, okay well i'll look for something and And I was like, oh, okay. Um, And of course, being a kid, I was like, I want a Mesa rectifier. I want a a Marshall JCM 800 and everything. And those are so insanely expensive. So my dad goes into the ad bargain sheet. Do you know the ad bargain sheet?
1: Not really. I mean, I've heard of it, but I'm not familiar with it. It's
0: basically a free paper you could pick up at supermarkets and like you could advertise things for sale. Well, he was going through it. And, uh, he found Jackson amp for X amount of dollars. And he said, what do you, what do you know about this? And I said, I don't. He said, well, let's go take a look at it. So we drove out to the middle of F all nowhere here in Pennsylvania. Oh, <laughs> excuse me. And, <laughs> and we, um, and it, it, there was this guy, it was in a trailer. This guy lived in a trailer. He was a really nice guy and walked in there and he had this Jackson JG two, 50 watt half stack with the matching cabinet and at the time I didn't know what it was I just went oh and it I plugged it in it gave me a clean sound I turned up the gain and it gave me at the time what I thought was crushing metal tone um uh and so I plugged so I played it and I was like oh it's good and it's this and it's that and the guy really wanted to sell it so he, my dad offered, I think it was 250 bucks or something like that. And my dad was like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. We need to look and everything. And the guy said, okay, I'll tell you what. If you buy it today, I'll give you one of two guitars for free. And he brought okay. out two guitars. He brought out a 80s designer explorer. The one that looked like Matthias Jabs. Okay. The white one with the stripes on it. And it right. had the Kaler on it and everything. And, of course, being a James Hetfield fan, I saw the Explorer and went, that one. Um, but then the other one was this Charvel Model 6. Now, because I played them both, and I loved the Gibson. Because, again, it was an Explorer, and it was a Gibson. Right. Um, and But my, my dad was footing the bill. So he made the call and he he said we ta- we'll take the Charvel. And I was a little bummed because I wanted to be James Hetfield. Right, right. However, that Model 6, he picked it because it sounded better. And that guitar for years was my sidearm. Like it was the guitar I played. I even dude, my first year in jazz band in college I used that. Like, Damn. yeah, like and, and I swapped out the original Jackson pickups in it to um, a Demarzio Steve special, an HS2 and a virtual vintage solo in the neck. And that virtual virtual vintage solo sounded so good. But recently, because I felt like it just needed it, I gutted it and I put in a set of EMGs, an 81 and an SA and an SA.
1: Well, that's kind of appropriate for um, well you would think it's kind of appropriate for the time period um, cuz I, I remember seeing uh i got tons of old guitar world and old guitar player magazines and you would see pictures of guys playing like a lot of bc rich guitars like the i uh, was it the not the assassin oh yeah Is the that assassin the Strat style one?
0: yeah the yeah, assassin and that had,
1: yeah yeah they all had the three um the three emgs single single hum and that's just that's an iconic that's an iconic set right
0: there. Well, and even the Jackson soloist back in the day, the, the setup was OFR with EMGs. Yeah. And, and that thing, I, I even routed out the original three individual switches to a blade switch. Like, cause I don't like individual switches. I like a blade switch. Like, it's, yeah, I kind of prefer that. It's now my Motley Crue guitar. Yeah. Cause I keep it in D standard. Um, and I replaced the tram on it too, because the original, uh, Jackson trim broke. So I, I put a, uh, Godot Floyd on it. Um, but so since we're, since we're winding down here for the first episode really quick, and this will be a cliffhanger. We'll start up the next podcast talking about this. Are you ready, Matt? Yeah. what, What is a piece of gear that everybody loves that you absolutely hate?
1: Oh man, is it just one? I <laughs> get
0: just one. Just
1: one? <laughs> oh uh, the, man, the the biggest well, one. See, here's. Go ahead. No, go. No, I was just gonna say. Here's the thing. Like, I don't think I'm, and I'm not like downplaying myself. I'm not dumping on myself or anything. But I don't consider myself to be an expert. I just, I, you know, like like you. We've kind of said. Well, although you're more of an expert than I am, I don't know if I'm qualified to answer that because my opinion means precisely ass. Well, no, but, but you know, that's...
0: no, like, like, real. It's okay. Have your opinion. This is a platform. We're go. We're gonna oh, make our man. statements, buddy.
1: Oh man, this is a tough one. <laughs> this is so tough. What is it? What is a piece of gear that people love that I hate? Um. Oh man, you're killing me, bro. Killing
0: me, you're killing me,
1: Smalls. Um, if I'm going gut reaction, I gotta be honest. I am not a fan of P90s. God strike me down for that. I, I don't know what it <laughs> is, but there's something about P90s that I'm not a fan of because I had a Les Paul. Well, all right, so let's be fair. So Les Paul that I had had P100s in it, which oh. were were their attempt at, sing, at hum-canceling P90s, and they yeah. were not good. Real muddy? They were very muddy. Now, the neck pickup sounded cool because it had, had kind of the... The woman tone thing like oh yeah. i remember playing it through um through my old laney half stack it kind of had like on a cleaner setting it kind of had a like a almost santana like you know how he used to use les pauls and sgs that had p90s in it oh yeah and he used the neck pickup a lot and it kind of had that i want to say bubbly sound but it kind of had that fat bubbly tone
0: vocal uh, without kind a ton of good
1: yeah very vocal almost like um <laughs> excuse me almost like a staccato saxophone player which is probably exactly what he was going for but in the neck position the p100 sounded like that the bridge position sounded like a p90 that you had rolled the tone all the way off on it just didn't sound great it was like cocked wah but enough to make michael shanker puke <laughs> <laughs> you know so it- you know the king of the cocked he always made it sound good but i never got it that was the other thing too trying to trying to do settings and stuff trying to use gear that other guitarists loved and the other guitarists sounded phenomenal with and i ended up sounding stupid using oh. it but i guess it's all in the fingers
0: oh no and and that's the thing dude like there oh you okay the piece of gear like i'll preface this before i make my point the piece right. of gear that i hate <laughs> that other guitarists just really seem to love. And I'm probably going to get shot for this. Is the 100 watt. I want to make that clear. The 100 watt JCM 800. Okay. Okay. I can, I can get that. I get that. And, and here's why two reasons. Number one, I've owned one. Number two, I've played the 50 waters and they are banging like 50 waters are, are, right where an 800 should rest. Um now I have a buddy who has a modified by Voodoo um a Voodoo modded um 800. I think his is a 50 watt actually. Maybe that's why I really love it. But um okay. I owned my guitar teachers, my first guitar teacher. He was selling his JCMA. It was an it was an 86 86 87 uh horizontal input 800. And I bought it and, um, I refurbished it. My father and I with much yelling and screaming at each other, mostly on my behalf, uh, refurbished <laughs> it, uh, like retolexed it. Cause he had it, he had it covered in, um, uh, checkerboard pattern and it was just okay. like ripped up and like, but it was, so I bought new tolex for it and we retolexed it, bought new corners for it, new hardware, the whole nine yards. The only thing that by the end of it that was original were the knobs, the faceplate, and the logo. Like, that's it. Um, not that I modded the amp, but like, you know, the chassis was original, but everything else was rebuilt. Um right. And that thing, the reason I, I didn't like it is because, number one, it didn't have as much gain as I anticipated. This is where I learned a very valuable lesson. You think of the 800 sound... It's the eight hundred sound, but you always front end it with stuff, or you like put it through a, a variac or something. You know what I mean?
1: Or through it an, through an attenuator or something.
0: Absolutely, and like that's the thing is like that amp was was, and everyone says, "Oh, it's an unbridled beast," and it is, but for me, that's not good because you'd put the thing. On zero and you'd hear nothing it would be a mosquito fart and then you turn it up to just over half of one so like literally 0.5 and it would kill small animals in a five mile radius right The the thing was so fucking loud it was ridiculous and i was like i can never gig this i can't use this anywhere like, now, this was before all the load box uh, impulse things like the two-note stuff. That was before that. So, you know, now, if I still had it, it would be a different story. But, I, but like, the 100-watt 800s are just... They're too extra. If I wanted a Plexi, I'd get a Plexi. They're just so loud. The 50-watt 800s, although decibel-wise, more forgiving like a little bit more forgiving the feel of them is better they just have better they're spongier and like to me because they have less headroom there's more gain on tap
1: well that's another thing that i often struggled with that it kind of took me a long time to realize that well one originally um i somebody told me a long time ago back off your gain turn up your master and turn your mids up and I was like, "What do you mean?" Or, "Or turn them to, uh, oh. turn them to a little over half." Yeah. But back your gain off, and I'm like, "Back the gain off. It's not gonna, it's not gonna sound good." And they're like, "No, trust me on it." And, and that was it. Um, I think, like you said, it's when you get that lower headroom, you're able to push those power tubes more. You're able to get that tube compression, that sag that everybody talks about. Um, yeah. It, it's not like it's not falling apart the way that Eddie did it. Um. Which I, people talk about that. I don't ever, when I hear his tone, I don't ever think it's falling apart. It always sounds so controlled and so tight. But when you goose that power amp, that's where all that tone
0: comes from. Well, every single person, well, he ran, he ran his Plexi in a Varia. He ran it at 89 volts. You know, that's way lower plate voltage than what it should be running at. Um, Actually, Rick Beato and um, uh, Rhett Schull Schull. did a really good video on that recently. I just saw that one. It was really good. Um, but, uh, not that their stuff is ever bad. Like Rick Beato and Brett right. Shaw are always just paramount. But, right. um, but, but that's the thing is that how many stories do you hear of guitar players playing Eddie's rig and they're like, I can't control this? Yep. yep. Even whenever he was using the 5150s or his, the newer version of the
1: 5150. Yeah. I saw, uh, an interview he did with Fender, um, not long after he launched EVH, and he was talking about his rig, and he said that he they were. He met with Billy Corgan at an event, and yeah, Billy asked if he could play his rig, and Billy turned it on, and he could not control. He's like, I can't play this because it was too. It, there was too much feedback. There was too much volume. There was too much bleed. It's like, but he knew how to control it, and I guess the, familiarity kind of wins out in everything. If you're familiar with your gear, you know how it responds. You can do anything with it.
0: Agreed, and like you know, Eddie. I wonder how often Eddie ran his guitar at full bore. You know what I mean on the volume pot. Yeah, that's something oh, I, to be said.
1: I think from some of the stuff I was reading and some of the stuff I was listening to, everything was full on. He was doing anytime he would clean, he would get a clean sound. Uh, he would be rolling the the guitar volume down because he had a he had that pickup hardwired directly into. The pickup so there was nothing getting in the way i don't even think there was a capacitor in there i think no it was, just it was right into the volume pot
0: it was pickup one pickup one volume in the truth
1: Yeah, and hardwired directly into the output jack so there was yep. nothing in the way so and plus he was using a a really heavily wax potted at very low output paf
0: that's true like so he wasn't relying on slamming the front end of the amp he had to have the amp do the work
1: Right. The amp was cooking. The amp was on fire, literally on fire. Oh, yeah. And he was able to get everything. I, I noticed this years ago. I was watching a Bernie Morrison video, and he had this torqued-up little uh, JTM-45 that was absolutely screaming, but he was getting these real nice, warm, clean sounds out of it. And just by rolling up his tone, then he'd have saturated, not, not like metal tone, No, but just full-on beautiful singing sustain and that's that's in the fingers and that's where a lot of that comes through but i think eddie did have everything pretty much full bore all in 100 percent of the time until he had to do clean stuff and then he would back off oh yeah use his fingers
0: true and like that's the thing is like i've i've been very lucky over the years i've bought sold and traded mostly traded um for a lot of amps i've owned my uh oh I need to sit down and actually make a list of all the amps I've owned um, over the years. But one of them was I owned a block letter. I had one. Yep. Um, and everyone got that. That's something. Okay. We knew we were going to talk about Eddie in, inadvertently. Yep. Like we absolutely knew we were going to talk about Eddie. But like oh, yeah. um, the, the thing that makes me sick and I understand this happens with anyone. It'll happen with any famous musician or any famous anything that th- when Eddie passed away, the price on old 5150s and old PV Wolfgangs skyrocketed. Like there was someone on I saw who listed a um, uh, a script logo 5150 for twenty five hundred dollars get out and i was like get jesus and listen there is no difference other than the tubes that they put in the things between a script and a block none no they are exactly the same
1: there was an ugly rumor that it had to do with the biasing as well i guess with the with the cheaper pickups but i don't know if that was ever substantiated all i know is i had a script i had that script logo 5150. That was easily the best amp I had ever owned.
0: Oh, I, re- dude, I remember, I remember playing that through your, um, your legacy cab. Oh,
1: yes. Oh, yes. That was heaven.
0: That was tone for days.
1: Yeah. Any rock to metal tone that you ever wanted was right there. Was it going to do a, a warm, clean sound? No, absolutely not. But it was usable, it was passable. Right. But that was never the point of the amp.
0: Well, but, but that's the thing is like my block letter. I got rid of it because I went, when am I going to use this? Cause at the time I wasn't right. gigging belch, excuse me again. I'm sorry. I'm having some delicious uh, evil genius. Stacy's mom. Uh, oh, excellent. The, uh, Love the whole, that, right. It's good stuff. Um, yeah. But the, that's the thing is like my block letter at the time. I was like, why do I have this? I don't need it. It's too loud. And I put, it it needed some work. It absolutely needed some work, um, right. but I was too, in my in my arrogance, um, I um, I didn't take it to a tech. I just traded it, and it was a right. player's condition one. It wasn't pristine at all. Like the fifty one fifty was replaced with like car letters. And yep. there was no backing plate. Like, it was just open. Like, it was a... It, but it, it had Mojo. I wish I still had it. Not because Eddie passed away, but because right now, the only amps that I have... I I still have my Jackson. I'll never get rid of that. Um, right. But that's not usable. It also needs a lot of work. Um, yep. But right now, I have a Line 6 Veta 2. um, And I have my Helix rigs. That's it. And it's not right. me being a uh, Line 6 fanboy. It's just I've always wanted a Veta 2 because of two bands, Symphony oh, X I could, I, and Meshuggah.
1: Yep. Yeah. I was going to say, I'm immediately thinking of Michael Romeo. Yep. As soon as you said beta 2, I'm like, that's Michael Romeo.
0: Dude, and, and the Veta 2, it's a great amp, but, like, again, I, we go direct. And, like, I know right. you can go direct with that thing, but I have my Helix. I don't need it. You know what I mean? I would love to get back into maybe a, an AC30 or uh maybe a twin. Um yeah. and I know we're talking about metal stuff, but like the first time I played a twin, it literally pushed my balls into my throat.
1: Like Oh, absolutely.
0: Oh god, they're so loud. But in yeah, in, I, a, I, uh, in a in a not bad way though.
1: Right. I got to play, there was a period of time when I got to play a bunch of vintage Fender amps and I got to play a blackface or I'm sorry, a silver face twin, like a, a CBS era twin. Yeah. That was so ungodly loud, but that, it was just, it was just balls to that, the wall.
0: That was the same era one I played. It was the, I think yep. the second year one CBS took over.
1: Yep. And I also got to play a blackface super reverb. Hello. Hello loud. Hella loud. And it was a vintage. Uh, it was pre CBS. Wow. I don't know where this dude got this thing from, but it was unreal. And I ran a Behringer V amp through the front of it. <laughs> what was I thinking?
0: <laughs> no, you're a boss, man. You've like that's that's the other thing. It's like the like there's like there's weird rules like people put in right. place. You can and can't do this. It's not that you can and can't. It's that will it give you the sound you want? And that's something we right. learn. I think, as we get older, because, like, dude, I know plenty of people who are younger than me that are, like, dead set. I love this. I love this. Nothing else will do. And I go, dude, if you do that, you're missing out on a lot of cool shit. Like, you know, pickups, guitars, amps, pedals, like uh, tremolo systems, like so many facets, people get stuck in their ways. Like for me, I've been doing a lot of tech work and, uh, one of the trem systems that I've run into that I believe should be the standard non-locking tremolo is called, um, the, um, Oh, I just lost it. Shit. I got to look this up. Um, mm. it's, a, it's, I think it's called a V trem. Or okay. no, not, not a V trim. What's it called? Let me, I gotta, I gotta look this up real quick.
1: Um, well, I've the, heard of the V trim. I'm not sure who makes it, but it's
0: I've not, heard of that before. it's not the V trim. What's it, what's it called? Let me, let me look here. Um, okay. uh, it is called the Vega tram. That's it. The Vega tram. Okay. Um, it is the best strat trim you'll ever play in your life because it's a knife edge strat trim and it just it feels perfect there's no drag there's no going out of tune nothing it is perfect
1: like, well i used to hear for years that the paul reed smith tremolo that came on the uh the standard or not the standard the uh custom 22 or the custom 24 was pretty much perfect i played on one uh, a few years ago, and it it definitely was not bad. Um, I'm kind of having a soft spot though for like the original Floyd Roses, like that are on um, Guthrie Govin's model.
0: Oh, oh, that's like that's so sexy. The single locking ones. Yeah. I dude, they're really good. Um, surprisingly, because I got to play a Guthrie. Um, yep. And it was very impressive. Weird thing though, it wasn't for me. It I I don't okay. know what it was about it. It just. It was an incredible guitar. It stayed in tune. It played itself, but it felt weird. Maybe it's because I'm yeah, a big no. man. You know what I mean? Like,
1: oh no, it's some you don't gel with every instrument that you play. That's just, I mean, we learned that the hard way. Well, there no, are numerous times where I pick guitars up and I'm like, no, I'm just, I'm not feeling this. The first time I played a gem, I'm like, no, I, I don't like this, dude.
0: Right? Like, I, I hate to say it, but like the gem to me, it feels like. Maybe now, maybe it's just the one that I played. It felt like a slower RG. Yeah. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. The, it, the neck is so flat too.
0: Oh yeah. It it sounded incredible and it played wonderfully, but it just, I was like, man, this isn't like my RG. Um, uh, now, understandably, it's a difference between a six and a seven, but it, right. it it's not my 1527. Like I love my right. 1527. It plays incredibly good. You know, and, and the gem just felt like it, it felt like it felt like a strat in a uh, weird villain handlebar mustache.
1: You know what I mean? <laughs> a vaudeville. Vaude villain. A vaude
0: villain. It's just like, it was just like, Mah! you know, like, no, I no, But and I've played some gems that I really liked. Like, that's the cool thing about gear. And I hope that's the kind of stuff that we can get into on this podcast. Um, right. I think this was a pretty good episode zero. What do you think?
1: Yeah, definitely. And it could have ended at a better time because I'm pretty much right now at school picking up my kids. So per- yeah, that's perfect.
0: perfect. 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 Well, hey,
1: go ahead. I definitely want to do this again. Like we need to do this again sooner rather than later because this was awesome.
0: Oh, dude, I plan on it being this way. Well, then I'll tell you what you take care of your kids. I'll handle the outro. How's that sound? That works for me. All right. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for taking a listen to uh, the Tone Bros podcast. And uh, yeah, this one was kind of scattered and everything, but we're just kind of feeling out how things go. We're going to be talking about, like I said, new releases of equipment and uh, some of our favorites over time. And uh, we're going to be talking about gear we've owned. Maybe have some controversial opinions about what gear we like and don't like and some things you should check out. Just make sure you stay tuned. Um, I don't have any links to mention or places you can go because we don't have anything like a Facebook or an Instagram or anything like that. Um, uh, So if you're listening to this and you found it, thanks for taking a listen and listening to our rambling. We really appreciate it. And, um, look for more episodes because I'm sure we'll be able to cover more stuff because we love talking about this stuff and hopefully you guys enjoy listening about this stuff. So for Matt, who is being uh dad of the year, taking care of his lovely family and his wonderful kids, uh, and for myself, uh, Chuck Bungo or Poot the Bard, as you might know me from the Pittsburgh Driver podcast or my YouTube channel, Poot the Bard, which you can go look those up if you like, um... Pittsburgh Ballot Driver podcast, by the way, is a wrestling podcast. So if you're a wrestling fan, go check that out as well. Uh, Like I said, I'm sitting here. He's taking care of his family being dad in the year. And I'm sitting here going, ooh, delicious beer in the afternoon. I'll take that. So thank you guys for listening. Make sure you tune in for more episodes whenever they come around. And remember, gain is not volume.